Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to continue examining this idea of how do we respond with evidence of grace when our faith and what we believe and what we stand on is attacked from our culture. And here's the big issue. When they attack our faith, it feels like they're attacking us. When they say things about our faith as a Christian, our faith in Christ, in Jesus, the church, things that we believe in, and they will, they will call us names, bigots, narrow-minded, homophobic, when all those things are not true. How do we respond in a culture like that? That's why we're in 1 Peter. The believers in this place that Peter is writing to, they were facing persecution. They were facing these things happening in their life. And I want you to know right now, I want to lay a foundation for this sermon today. We're going to be looking at suffering as a believer. But I want you to know that we could stand up here and talk about those who showed up in the darkness of night this day to worship Jesus because they were afraid they would be killed for their faith of Christ. That, this would definitely apply to them. But this also applies to the one who sits in a school classroom who feels bullied and they cannot even say the name Jesus. This applies to the one who, who believes and takes a stand on what they believe is true according to the word of God and they are looked over for a promotion. This also applies to the one who gives everything you have to serve Jesus. And you're physically exhausted, you're mentally exhausted, you're emotionally exhausted, and you're spiritually exhausted. And you're suffering for serving Christ in a different way, but you're suffering. Today's message is going to be for you. If you are not in any way suffering for your faith, your faith evidently is not being shown bright enough. Did I just say that out loud? Uh-oh. There's one thing we all should have in common. That is suffering for our faith. No matter what century we are from, no matter what house we live in, no matter what our background is, if we are not suffering in some kind of way for our faith, then our faith must not have much evidence in our life. That's a bold statement to make, but something I believe deeply. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to read this morning, beginning in verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For if you have been called for this purpose, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. 
We can live as Christ lived because Christ died to give us that life. You and I have been called by the Holy One to live as if we are holy ourselves. We looked at that last time. It's in chapter 1 where it clearly says that we are to be holy just as God is holy. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit within us to get there. And now in this suffering, keeping that in mind, we come to this place where when we're doing good, we're doing what is right, but yet we're suffering for it. How do we deal with that? Because that's not easy. Because we have this idea sometimes that if I'm doing what is right and I'm doing what is good, then everything's going to go smooth in my life. God's going to bless me and I'm going to have all kinds of favor. And man, I'm going to get a promotion and people are going to like me. People are just going to like me if I do good. According to the Bible, you can do good and you can suffer for it. And from my experience in my life, you can do good and you can suffer for doing good. It can happen from your family. It can happen from your uh, co-workers, your, your, your classmates. A lot of people can come along and they can cause what you do that is good to feel wrong because you suffer for it. But let me assure you that if you do something good and you suffer for it, it doesn't mean that the good was wrong. Because sometimes we measure what we did good by what people do or say or how they react. Our measurement of doing good is not dependent upon other people. It's strictly dependent on the Word of God in obedience. Simple as that. It is God's will and His obedience that determines whether we are doing good. As Christians and followers of Christ, we are to do as Christ did, think as Christ thought, and speak as Christ spoke. We can see this here in this particular scripture today in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says, But if you, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Here's a truth for you today. You can know this, that suffering for doing what is right is not unique to just me. Suffering for doing what is right is not unique just to me. This has been going on for centuries. It's been going on for millennials. It's, it's been going on in different countries. It's been going on all over the world in different situations, in good families and bad families. In good economies and bad economies. When gas was only 15 cents a gallon and when gas was $4.98 a gallon. Oh. There has been suffering going on and you are not unique in experiencing this. For doing what's right and suffering for it. Peter wants to encourage us today. There was a hostile and a pagan society that would slander and ridicule and discriminate against and even inflict physical pain upon these believers of Jesus Christ at this place. But you know what I love? They did not back down. Peter encouraged them to what? Look at this. What is the word he uses here that's, that's beautiful? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure you don't give up. You stick with it. You keep going forward. You don't back down. You do not compromise. When you keep doing good, you're going to find favor with God. 
The question becomes for you, whose favor would you prefer to have? Would you prefer to have the favor of men and your friends and your family or the favor of God? When we're suffering for doing what is right, we can either decide to compromise and let people be happy around me or let God be happy within me. We have a decision to make. And when we're suffering, I want you to be encouraged by these words. I also want you to notice Peter says it more than once within this letter. Not only does he say it in 2.20, but look over in chapter 3, verse 13. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. He also says, just right after that, in verse 17, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Because if you're suffering for doing what is right, it means that you're walking in righteousness and God's grace and His will. If you're not suffering for doing what is right, but you're suffering for doing what is wrong, you obviously have not been walking in God's will. Because we will, we will suffer for doing wrong. There is a society set up that there are consequences to wrong choices. That is understandable, Peter says. Well, what blessings and favor do you have for doing wrong and suffering for it? But if you're doing right and suffer for it, then you are truly blessed. It's the beauty of walking in the favor of God. Let me tell you, our culture and our churches today want you to believe that being a Christian it should be easy. I am here to debunk that myth today. Being a Christian is hard. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die. Being a Christian involves suffering. Christ is our suffering Savior. Suffering is part of the world and our faith that we live. Do not... Let the devil make you think that just because somebody don't like you or somebody treated you wrong because you are a Christian, do not think that, oh, woe is me, God has forgotten me. Because it is in that very moment the Word of God declares here in 1 Peter, God remembers you and His favor will shine upon you because you are standing in righteousness in God's will. So as we look at this, Remember I said, as Christians, we are to do as Christ did, we are to speak as Christ spoke, and we are to think as Christ thought. Now, is that anywhere in Scripture? Well, I think if we look here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. You know what that says? We are to be like Jesus. So, how are we to be like Jesus in suffering? The, the writer here, Peter, he marks it out very clearly here. We, here are some things that we can see Jesus did not do. We talk about doing what Jesus did. Let's look at some things Jesus did not do when it comes to suffering because our flesh wants to respond sometime in a very negative way, doesn't it? So let's look at this. Let's see what Peter wrote. Verse 22, Who committed no sin... Now, I know some of you are going to go, yeah, he was Jesus. He was sinless. Of course he didn't commit any sin. But do you understand this is put here as an example for us? This isn't just a theological 
thought to be put out there that Jesus was sinless. It is an example. The word example is put right before it. We have to keep in mind, when we are suffering for our faith, we should not sin in the process of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whenever we suffer for our faith or doing good, let's not sin in the middle of it. I can tell you what happens to the flesh and to our spirit. When we begin to suffer, it gets weak. Our courage to resist wears down. And we want to do things we know we shouldn't do. We want to say things we know we shouldn't say. We want to slap somebody. But we know we shouldn't do that. But we're thinking the Bible says that if somebody slaps you on one cheek, you should turn the other. Lord, let me just go slap them. I'll slap them on the other side too. But would that be a sin or would that be righteous anger? There is a difference between righteous anger and flesh anger. When you are upset because something is, is, is against your Christ and your God and against the righteousness and the, the Word of God, that's righteous anger. When you see a child suffering, that's righteous anger. But when you don't get your way, that's you being a baby. Oh, gosh, did I say that out loud? <clears throat> don't be a baby. Don't be a baby, Christian. Be mature. Grow up. Understand the Word of God says that we are to endure when we're suffering. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> the Word of God has called us to suffer without sinning. When things are not going our way, we have to be careful not to fall into the temptation of sin. Jesus, even though He was suffering and He was persecuted, He did not sin. If you're suffering, do what is right. Let me tell you something God laid on my heart for this sermon, and I don't understand, and I don't know who it's for. Unforgiveness is sin. When you suffer for doing what is good, and you do not forgive the other person, they, they may not even deserve it. Somebody, listen to me. There's someone in your life that does not deserve to be forgiven. I get it. You're right. They don't deserve it. But because of Christ and what He did on the cross, you need to forgive them. You have suffered at their hand. You have suffered because of them. And you've got to let that go. Give it to God and forgive them and go on. Because you're holding yourself in a prison. You're putting yourself in a jail. Just because they, they caused you to suffer gives you no right to override the King of kings and the Lord of lords and not forgive them. Because he said in Matthew chapter 6, If you will forgive others their sins, then I will forgive you. You want me to put it in the Dahlonega E's, the Clyde Self commentary? If you want forgiven by God, you better start your process of forgiving someone else who's hurt you. Because God is not going to let you stay in a position of being greater than Him when it comes to that commandment to forgive. There's a lot of things we could talk about forgiveness and maybe we'll get into that. We'll see. But let's look at the second, second thing. St. Augustine said, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. That one son, Jesus, suffered. Second thing, not only did he do it without sinning, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. 
He did not deceive people. He did not try to, to just make the moment seem okay. He did not just, just leave it for people to just draw their own conclusions. He did not deceive. If Christ tried to deceive, I, you know, when I, when I read this, I was trying to figure out why in the world is this even in there? It's real easy for us to compromise, is it not? Well, you know, I'll just say nothing. I'll just be quiet. I'll leave my faith at home. I will not take it to work anymore. That's a compromise. And you're deceiving people if you are trying to act like them so you will not suffer for your faith. That's deception. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a sin. Do not pretend to be like other people just so you won't suffer for who you believe in. You have to live this life of faith. When Jesus bid us come, he bid us to come and die. Being a Christian is about suffering. There's a lot of blessings. There is life. There is favor. But this is an, a concept of our faith. We have to understand clearly it is a maturity. See, deep people has been, have been through deep stuff. And Christ may have you going through some deep stuff right now and suffering to make you a deep person so that you can do great big things for Him. So when it comes to this, notice that Jesus, He did not sin nor did He deceive. There was no compromise. Now, here's the one I wish Peter had left out, but he put it in here. And while being reviled, he did not, he did not revile in return. Uh, do, you know what, do you know what reviling is? Name-calling. Attacking with your, vo with your words, verbally assaulting someone. Because isn't it... Isn't it isn't it something that makes you feel better when someone calls you a name or puts you down that you can come back with one? Oh, yeah. Well, yo mama, too. <laughs> you know, and you just want to come back with things that, that talks about their mama and their daddy and the way they look. And, you know, the problem is last night is while you were asleep, you kept breathing. That is what our flesh would do. But you know what Jesus did? He did not stoop to their level. Christ has bidded us to come and rise above the level of this world that will condemn and beat us up because of our faith. Christ has bidded us to, to rise above that and to be men and women who will walk as Christ walked and will not seek revenge. That's the next thing, is he did not seek revenge. See, he did not throw back insult for insult. He did not just utter threats. Yeah, you just think you're hitting me now. You wait till the end of time, buddy. When I come back on, on the white horse, you're the first one I'm looking up. Jesus didn't do that. He very well could have. Jesus even told Peter, he said, Peter... Don't you know I could call 10,000 legions of angels? But Jesus did not do that. He did not seek revenge. That's why I'm absolutely convinced that He wants us to forgive. He wants us to, those that we suffer at their hand, we have to forgive them. 
We have to proceed without sinning. So we have to be careful what we say, and it begins with what we think. We've got to guard our minds when we're suffering so that we can be as Christ's example. The character of Christ in me should not change based on the treatment of those around me. The Jesus that is in me should be the same Jesus that comes out when I'm suffering and when I'm not. The suffering will help us see that part of us that needs to be molded to be more like Jesus. Now that we've talked about some things that Jesus did not do, Jesus, Jesus did not... He did not sin. He did not deceive. He did not revile or call people names. He, he did not seek revenge. He was forgiven. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. But I want you to look and see what Jesus did do. Because some of you are probably saying, well, man, that's a tall order. You're talking about Jesus here. He was a son of God. He died for the whole world. How in the world, Pastor, do you think I'm going to live up to that? That's absolutely unrealistic you want me to be run over by these people i don't get it don't miss the one thing that jesus did so that he could not do those other things look at this don't miss this this is huge this is so important because to me this comes before the do nots really you have to do this first so you do not do the other things it says he uttered no threats in verse 23 but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We want to take our suffering into our own hands. Jesus left it in the hands of the one who created the world. That's where we must leave the suffering that we face in this world is in the hands of God Almighty and the Father. We have to walk in such a way that we reflect Christ and we show evidence of grace in our life to those who are trying to destroy us. Because we may be the only Bible they're reading. We may be the only picture of God they will ever see. We must be careful in what we say, do, or think so that we can exhibit Christ but it begins not with what we don't do, but what we do in entrusting God to handle the situation. When you're doing something good and somebody is ridiculing you for doing that good thing, keep entrusting God. Keep your eyes focused on Him. If you are doing it because He has asked you to do it, keep doing it. If you're doing it so people will applaud, stop. You're doing it for the wrong reason anyway. And whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Do it for Him and submit under Him to handle the situations as they may come. Please remember that in the midst of suffering, God's will is being done in the midst of it. God's will did not stop when you started suffering. God's will continues. He's working in you. He's working in other people. Jesus did this. This is what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus trusted the Father in the Father's plan. That's what he trusted. He trusted the Father in his plan. Jesus did not try to write his own story, write his own novel, write his own ending. He trusted God to work in a way that the ending would be suitable to him. 
And that's what I encourage us to do. That's what Peter's trying to tell these people who are being persecuted and beat down and treated bad for their faith is to simply continue to trust in God the Father. That He's doing a work. Let Him carry it on to completion as it says in Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to perfection, completion. It will be complete. And for that to happen... You have to trust in God as the suffering is coming that you do what He wants you to do in the midst of it, which does not include sinning, deceiving, seeking revenge. When somebody says something ugly to you because you're a follower of Christ, I double, triple dog dare you to look at them and say, well, God still loves you and so do I. Don't let them get under your skin. Because the one that they're persecuting is not wearing your shirt. He wore the cross. The one that they're calling names and they're treating like filth is not the one standing in your shoes. It's the one who had the nails drove through his feet. That's the one that they're persecuting. And I can assure you, Jesus hears every word of it. And he sees you as you suffer through it. So what are we to do? How do we put this in action in our life. Well, I hate to take you to chapter 2, verse 20 again, but here we go. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. I know some of you go, patiently? I don't like to be patient. patient being patient wouldn't be so bad if it would be done by tonight. I'd be patient all day long as long as I didn't have to wake up tomorrow and deal with it all over again. But that's not the way patience works. See, patiently enduring it is not being on your timetable for it to be over. It's being on God's timetable for when it will end and the work is complete. Patiently endure it. Stick with it. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't compromise. Patiently keep your eyes focused on the Father and keep running forward for Him. Trust Him. He will see you through it as you live a life. And think, think of this. If you are enduring for doing good, you're trusting God in the plan, you're not sinning, you're not calling people names, you are forgiving people, God cannot help but look at you and smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. A really wise theologian named Lynn Burkhalter said one time, it's better to hear God say, well done, instead of well said. Amen. Might be the best thing I've said in this whole sermon. That's how we are to live in suffering. The Word of God, not Pastor Clyde, says to patiently endure it. And this is something God laid on my heart that you have to write down today. That's number two. What do we do? How do we do this? Number two, forgive. Everybody say it with me. Forgive. I'm going to give you a really quick biblical definition of forgiveness. Some earmarks, some things that you can measure whether you have forgiven them. Number one. You don't keep bringing it up. Number two, you're not trying to hurt them over it. If either one of those two things is, is still going on in your life, you have not fully forgiven. 
You are not allowing it to stand between you and them. You are continually doing God's work together. Maybe your relationship's not the way it used to be. And I'm talking about people who are Christians here. Because, you know what? Some of the people that will hurt you the worst is sitting in this room because we're all brothers and sisters. It's when we have somebody who we love who is a Christian that does something and it causes the suffering to be magnified. And ladies and gentlemen, we have to forgive each other. We're... None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. If we do not forgive, we place ourselves in a prison. We put ourselves in a position that the suffering is going to cause harm instead of God's blessing. So patiently endure and forgive just as Christ forgave. Now, as a caveat so you understand, I share this with a lot of people. Forgiveness is not a light switch sometimes. It is not an on and off. It is not just an event. It may be a process. If you are in the process of forgiving someone and you're working through your pain, because I'll tell you, how long will it take to forgive somebody? Sometimes it depends on the depth of the pain and the length of the pain. It may take a long time. It may take a lifetime. But as long as you're working in that process... You are forgiving, and God will forgive you, and God's favor will shine upon you. It's when we refuse to say, nope, not going to do it, that we find a problem. And it begins to affect us in what we say, what we think, and what we do. We start calling people names, gossiping, being mean, even to people who have nothing to do with the situation. So when we suffer for our faith, let us... Speak, think, and act as people who have received grace from Christ. And as you suffer during that, know that God's favor is shining upon you. First Peter said it more than one time, and when it's repeated, it's God is emphasizing it. You will be blessed. God's favor is upon you because you're acting like Jesus. For the next seven days, I would encourage you to pray. Pray for those people who are suffering. Those who are suffering because of their faith. Those who are dealing with persecution. And it could be at different levels. I can tell you one thing. There will be people suffering this week from exhaustion. (laughs) Amen, hallelujah. Physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion. They will be physically suffering this week. Pray for those who are volunteering and working here at Vacation Bible School. They're not doing it to get a paycheck because we're paying the same thing this year we did the last time we did Vacation Bible School. As a matter of fact, you know what? I've decided to double everybody's pay this year for Bible School. So let's see. Zero times two equals... Okay. I think we can fit that in the budget. (laughs) They don't come for pay. They come to serve people, but yet they will suffer physically. Pray for them. There are people suffering emotionally because they have been rejected by their families. And you may think that only happens overseas. It happens in our communities. We have people who have to deal with their families going, If you follow Jesus, you are no longer part of our family. Pray for them. Pray for those who are around the world who has given their life who has put themselves on the front line to die because they proclaimed Jesus today and they sang some songs and they 
studied the Bible. Pray for those just because they have a copy of the Bible that they can read. They may very well be beheaded. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die. This is not a popular Christian sermon that's going to have people flocking to the, in droves to be a follower of Christ because I'm not up here telling you how blessed your life will be. I'm telling you, being a follower of Christ, you will suffer, but I can tell you, you will never live a more blessed life than when you know Christ. Because in the midst of the suffering, there is a peace and a joy and a confidence. There is something that you receive from the Holy Spirit that is greater than all the suffering. Paul considered himself, he considered it an honor to suffer with Jesus. We need to do the same. We need to do the same. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for suffering. I thank you, Father, that I have been challenged in my faith. And Lord, as I look around in our culture, I... It's a scary place that we live. We see people growing up. We see our, our teenagers. We see our children. We see those who are growing up in a culture that it's almost, it's almost a sin. It's, it's terrible to say even anything that has to do with Jesus unless it is in context of agreeing with those who have taken the Bible and ripped out pages. Father, I declare today, if suffering must be what I must walk, then suffering it shall be for you in your name. And Father, your word must stand. Encourage us. Lord, give us courage to stand for our faith, not to compromise and back down, not to, to attack other people because of things that they say and things that they do that's against our faith, but to respond in a way that says, I've received grace and I sure would love to see you receive it as well. Father Peter goes on to talk about in the scripture that the suffering led to our salvation that Jesus bore our sins. The whole focus when we are suffering must be for the one who's causing the suffering to come to know Christ on a level that we do. So, Father, help us understand that. And Father, if somebody today does not know you and does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the time, this is the place. They don't need to wait. Lord, today's invitation has not been very positive and touchy-feely. Lord, I, I, I love to feed people ice cream and make them, make them have that good feeling. But Father, sometimes your word declares the truth is this. There are thorns. There are thistles. There will be scars and scratches and bumps and bruises and there will be beatings and there will be beheadings. And Jesus himself, Father, said that we must take up our cross and follow you. And we must follow you in the example you left. Help us in our suffering reflect you in all that we do. Father, 
somebody does not have a relationship with you, may you reveal it to them right now. May your Holy Spirit do its work to let them know that they need to ask you to forgive, forgive, you, forgive them and to take over their life. So right now, Lord, may they just simply ask you to forgive them and take over their life. In Jesus' name we pray.